0: hello out there thank you thank you so much thanks for coming back or for joining for the very first time it's the season six finale of modern day philosophers episode 72 wow can't believe i've done 72 of these and i still haven't been fired from the show And perhaps you're thinking he could get fired from this show There's always a possibility in my mind, hey, maybe I'm going to get replaced on my own podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Brian Regan is the guest. Brian Regan. If you don't know who that is, uh, you don't know comedy. How do you like that? That's harsh, isn't it? You don't know comedy at all. But really, I mean, this is one of the great comics, not just alive one of the best living comics people would say hey he's one of the best living how about he's just one of the best comics i think he is and i'm really honored that i got to do this i drove to las vegas to record this interview i rented a room at the excalibur hotel it's the first time i've ever stayed at the excalibur hotel it's not a remarkable hotel or anything i'm not i'm not trying to push it on you i may never stay there again but it wasn't bad you know what's interesting? There's a lot of regulars who go to these hotels. I've got in the elevator. There was a bunch of people like, oh, have you been here since they remodeled the rooms? I go, no, this is my first time here. They go, oh, we come every year. To the same hotel? There's so many hotels. You don't feel like you want to explore? No. The same hotel. There are people who are loyal to anything. They really are. They're people probably who use like the, the, the same staples. We well, don't go to that staples. I came to the, you know, example of staples of all things, but, you know, you get the point. People attach themselves to one thing; they become a regular at that place, at that thing, and and people. Uh, what was with this tangent? I'll tell you what. There's no need for me to continue talking right now. I'd rather just get to the interview. But first, we have to hear a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine a world where no one ever went hungry. Where you didn't have to choose between clean air and clean water. And where bitter drunken comedians didn't have to work in small dark clubs to tell you how severely screwed up everything is. If that kind of world scares you the way it scares us, then we can help. We're StandUpRecords.com. We offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, and merchandise from the best stand-up comedians on earth. So please give generously. And remember, together we can't save the world. Yeah, no, we can't. So you may as well just buy something funny. That's StandUpRecords.com. Stand-Up Records, the brand you've come to know, the brand you've come to trust. It's unbelievable. They've got all kinds of comedy on there. They've got fantastic routines from the greats. Doug Stanhope, Mark Marin, Maria Bamford, and myself, Danny Lobel, some kind of comedian. All those albums and much, much more available at the iTunes store, Amazon, or standuprecords.com. Go get one today. And do a lot of things today. Don't put things off for tomorrow. You never know what tomorrow may bring. So do it today. I'm thinking about Las Vegas. I'm thinking about where I'm about to take you on a journey. To the Excalibur Hotel Room. Where I met one of my comic heroes, Brian Regan, to do this interview. At the Excalibur Hotel tell this guy he shows up right on time and by the way i didn't even know what time until the day of the interview that we'd be doing this because i arranged it with his management and everything who were very helpful and awesome but i didn't know like what time the interview would be so i left really early in the morning and i drove like a maniac to get to las vegas because i was like i don't want to bother them too much i probably should have just bothered them this is my own my own issue. I was like, I don't want to overwhelm them with pressuring them for a time. Let me just get there as quickly as possible, so that he has the luxury of getting there, whatever time works for him. So, uh, my wife Kylie and I, we get in the car and and we go, go, go. And I'm I'm like, I gotta get there. I don't know what time. Luckily, they, when I arrive, they say, Oh, he'll be there in four hours or something. I said, oh, little time to relax. All I knew was the day, and I was like, it's not going to be at 9 in the morning, right? So, I'll just get there as early as I can. I think I arrived in Las Vegas around uh, 10, 10.30 or 11 a.m. Figured that's about the earliest somebody does one of these. But I could have been wrong. What if I was wrong? Could have been a disaster. Luckily, it wasn't. So, let's go back to the Excalibur Hotel, where I sat in a room and discussed a philosopher, Mr. Firebend, with Brian Regan. Oh yeah, it was a wonderful t- Why do I go with Sinatra? Why do I go with Sinatra when I think of Las Vegas? I could have gone with Elvis. Oh, I in a hotel room with... Brian Regan, oh yeah. oh, we're in this interview. All right, without further ado, except for the intro song, I'm going to bring you to my interview in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Nevada. The home city of our guest, the brilliant and fantastically funny. Mr. Brian Regan. Enjoy. Uh, And welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic
1: philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers
0: all their own.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel.
0: Modern Day Philosophers. All right, so let's do some uh some sound checks. How loud do you think you'd get if you were really if you were really into this? Check one, two, three, four. Testing one, two, three, four. This that, would be about it right it. here. That's you at maximum excitement. Well, I, I can't <laughs> guarantee that I won't hit a higher level. You let's know? say we really hit it off and we're having a great talk and uh Um Well, hey, I guess I could get like this. <laughs> that already feels a little
1: unnatural, <laughs> but uh <laughs> In fact, if I start talking like this, go like this. Okay. Give me
0: the hand gesture, like, bring it down, because this is really strange. He's like the laziest sound engineer ever. He doesn't want to change the level. just...
1: <laughs> <laughs> just try and stay he's at the... <laughs> he's got a big board in front of him, and he just... He's like, like, a, like a conductor, conductor. With, yeah. a, with a stick. <clears throat> I had a... Um, I, what I would call as the laziest sound guy ever... I did a sound check at a venue, and I'm out there before the audience is there, and and from the monitors, I'm hearing just (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and so I look at the sound guy, and I'm like, is that just now? I mean, that's not gonna be during the show, right? He goes, no, there's nothing gonna be done about it. I said, nothing can be done about that. I said it's like it's like vibrating, and he goes, "Let me try something." He flipped one switch, and it completely went away. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for working for a second. Thanks for working for one second. That improved that show
0: by a thousand percent. You flipping the switch? <laughs> That's fantastic. Nothing, nothing. Oh, Iraq's. Oh, yeah. Well, there's the switch. Yeah. Well, how about now? <laughs> N- now it's a billion times better. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your effort. <laughs> hmm. All right. Yes. Yes. We're officially on the air. Beautiful. Not much different than before, except uh, now it's official.
1: But uh, all the good stories, I already shared them. I have. Uh, I have one good story, and I, I said it to you when we were coming in the door. So now it's all <laughs> going to be downhill.
0: It's funny that like, the whole world is just an exchange of stories. You know, like everything, Not well, the entertainment world. That's, I was thinking about that the other day. It's just really, um, when you're a kid and you ask your parents, can you tell me a story, that never ends.
1: My dad would tell us stories at night. Um, not all the time, like once in a while, like once every couple of weeks, you know, he'd tell us a story, a bedtime story, and he would make them up. And it was so cool. Then there was always a moral. It was like, I forget the characters' names. It was like Billy, John, and Jack or something, you know? It was always the same kids, and they were always like getting in trouble. But there was always a moral at the end of the story. And my brother Dennis, who, you know, is a stand-up, he tells the story, too, of my dad smoked cigarettes at the time. This is back when people didn't realize that was not cool to smoke in front of your kids while you're telling them stories, <laughs> I guess. And it would be in the, in the middle of the night, and you would just see the glow of the, uh, the lit cigarette like going in and out in the dark while my dad would tell us a story that had a, had a moral ending. And uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. That's so. pretty impressive to be
0: making them up with a moral.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, he would. Pa- he would. We'd say, "Hey, will you tell us a story?" And usually, he'd say, "I can't tonight." You know, whatever. But like one, every, once every couple of weeks, go, "Yeah, yeah, all right, I'll tell you a story." And he would sit down and he would he would wait like five minutes while I guess he was figuring it out in his head. So we would just see that glow for like five minutes of nothing. He's all right. You ready for the story? It's like, oh boy, here it comes,
0: man. I, I remember I, I loved when my dad would read to me as a kid. Yeah, I get him to read the same books over and over to Narnia, Matilda. Those books, like. I loved them. And my dad read them so, so well. He told uh-huh. them so well. Now, was your dad in the industry at all?
1: Or? No, he's a photographer. He's retired now. Okay. But, but, but uh, even a photographer
0: tells a story. That's true. You know, so he had that mindset, I guess. Right? In fact, he's, he was a photojournalist, so he really was a, a storytelling photographer.
1: Yeah, well, that's good. Good for him.
0: Yeah, I like to read to, uh, to my kids, too. They're getting a little bit older.
1: But uh, I read the Sunday Funnies with them. Yeah. Every week we get the comics and we read the Sunday Funnies.
0: Is there a favorite one?
1: Um, well, there's ones that we are so bad <laughs> that we enjoy how bad they are. And uh, I, I don't want to maybe I, I don't want to say what they are, but uh, some are better than others. Right. We like Bizarro. You know, Bizarro's pretty good. Um, I wish Farside was in our Sunday comics because we all like that. Um, but I don't know who gets to pick the Sunday funnies, but uh, the guy who picks them here at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, I, I wish I could sit in on a meeting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, you never you never know what funny people are, are reading things or watching things. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot of these interviews with the old-time comedians and... Uh, it's very funny to me because I, I happen to really like Ellen DeGeneres. I think she's talented and phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But all these old-time comedians, these legendary comedians, they, they all at some point in the interview complain about Ellen DeGeneres. And I just think, wow. Well, what do they all have against her? And I realized that's all they ha- they watch all day. It's daytime television.
1: <laughs> well, now I figured out a new strategy. Make sure I never get on daytime television. <laughs> it's just because it's not catered to them.
0: Right, right. You know, it's the... funny.
1: <laughs> Stay off the daytime. Well, look what happened to Rosie O'Donnell. You know, she had daytime TV, and she certainly has. You know,
0: people who are not necessarily on her side. You know, <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> right. Right. Hmm. It's a dangerous t- place to be in daytime television. Yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking about the storytelling. Movies are, are like the the big storytelling. Right. Mm mm-hmm. And movie critics, I always think, thought oh, they're so mean, but they're really just kind of like angry kids that are just like, I don't like that story. You right, didn't tell right, it right. 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> tell it better next <laughs> time. <their own.
1: laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I know there's a place for critics in our world, you know what I mean? But doing what I do, doing what we do, you know, it, it, I, I have a chip on my shoulder feeling like there's somebody out there that could just sit, that they can just do their job just sitting with their arms folded, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A- and deciding whether or not all this work and effort I put into something is up to snuff as far as they're concerned. (laughs) That just seems a little strange to me. Yeah. Even though, I don't know, I'd like to think, you know, I I get decent reviews and things, but uh, it's just a weird job, I think.
0: Well, that's (laughs) something I wanted to talk a little bit about with you. And uh, you are, by myself included, one of the most respected comedians uh, working. And uh, one of the reasons why I was so honored that you were willing to do this and well, you're welcome, uh, man. And probably the reason, for, you know.
1: Thanks for having me on your podcast, man. That's really special.
0: Well, what is what does it feel like, Brian? <laughs> what is Because <laughs> <it? laughs> I mean, that's what we're all all is not even just comedians, but everybody. We're just trying to uh, kind of gain the respect of whatever we're doing, you know, get get that validation. So once you have it, then what? You mean get the the respect of you get the respect of, of the people that you know, all the way up, and then uh, and everybody says, "You're doing the thing, great." Well, and and, and, and then and then and then what? Well, first of all, that
1: that means the world to me. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, I I like making audiences laugh, but I also it you know I like the fact that comedians like what I do. You know, you like to feel like you're decent. <laughs> Right, what you, what you do, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> when I played football in high school and in college, you know, you, you want other football players to think, wow, you, you're okay, you belong on the team. So it's the same with comedy, you know? You want to feel like, you know, uh, I don't know, that people respect what you do to a degree. But I've always tried to be careful, too, of not, um, <clears throat> not doing that at, at the exclusion of the audience, You know, it's like, I want the audience to like what I'm doing, too. You know what I mean? Like, you you know, I think you can, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but you can choose, you can choose to just care about the audience and not care at all about other comedians, or you could choose to just care about the comedians and not care so much about the audience. Um, I think of myself as a creative pig. (laughs) (laughs) I want... I want it all. I want. <laughs> I want. I want, every, I want them in the chairs, and I want the comics standing in the back to all like it.
0: Is it something you're still uh, conscious of when there are comedians in the room? Are you still thinking, "Oh, I hope they like it"?
1: Um.
0: Well, no, I. I, I don't know. I, I. I.
1: I guess the answer is yes. I guess the answer is the opposite of what I said the answer was. <laughs> um it's like a constant thing of always, yeah, I always want to keep myself in check and go, I'm I'm not really, I, I want to do what I think is funny. You know, uh-huh. I want to do what I think is funny. I hope audiences agree and I hope comedians agree. But, you know, just like I think, you know, you're going to Hackville if you start pressing buttons for the audience, you can also uh-huh. go into a similar kind of thing if you're just pressing buttons for other comics. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I, I don't want to figure out what the audience likes, or I don't want to figure out what comedians like. I want to figure out what I think is funny. I want other people to agree. You know what I mean? But I, I always try to, um, to to make sure I'm just doing from in me what I think is funny. In fact, that's like a little um, uh, trick I do if I uh, if I feel like I'm I don't have a crowd on my side, or whatever. I just Take a breath while I'm on stage, and I go. Pretend I'm in the audience. Just make me laugh. Does that works? Yeah. I mean, it. I won't always turn a crowd around. Sometimes I can, but at least I know I'm doing what I want to do, and not. I hate that feeling of chasing it. You know, where you're starting to chase. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't want to do that. I want to just go. Just stay true. And then if there are just a handful of similar-minded people out there, that I'll just entertain them. You know what I mean? So, I think you asked a question that has nothing to do with what I answered, but uh, I went off
0: and I liked the answer anyway. Maybe it was an answer to a better question I didn't have.
1: Or you can just... We'll just piece it together afterwards. You go, this... So clearly this guy doesn't know how to answer questions, so what I'll do is I'll just... I'll let him talk (laughs) and then I'll go back afterwards and I'll plug in some questions that make sense immediately prior to his ramblings.
0: Right, right. I'll go back and edit the entire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have some old interviews that I did when I was in college and, I always want to go back and edit them to make myself sound less nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done it, but I always want to go back with a microphone and re-ask the question with confidence. That's funny. <laughs> you, know, you know, when I was out on the
1: road, um, I didn't realize they did this, and I don't know if I'm sharing uh, something that I'm not supposed to share, but, you know, like when a big star is in a movie, right? They, for local radio, they just do canned answers, Right. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll go into a place and record like five to ten canned answers and then they will send these to local radio stations and say, ask these questions before these answers. And it can sound like you're doing a phoner, uh-huh. you know, and I was in a radio station where they were doing it with Sylvester Stallone for what was it cop cop land or something? There was a movie that and uh, he had lost a lot of weight for the movie. And so the local DJs are, man, I understand you, you know, you lost a lot of lot of weight for the role and then boom, they just push the button. He's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm not trying to do enough Sylvester Stallone impression, but <laughs> he does his old answer about losing weight. And so it so people listening can think, Oh wow, you know, this local station out in the middle of nowhere got a inner phone interview with Sylvester Stallone. But I just thought it'd be fun like if they would then just ask something that made no sense right. to that answer and make yeah. them sound like ridiculous <laughs> and go did you ever take like uh i don't know when you were in high school were you like in a drama class you know, I lost a lot of weight you know it was like uh, <laughs> hard to lose weight you know and then and then go back and go well that doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense
0: to what i just <laughs> asked you right you know? and then just do the whole interview <laughs> like that so i i liked what you were saying about the uh, the idea of uh, Putting yourself in the audience when you're on stage, how much are you in your head when you're on stage at this point? I mean, you nearly 40 years that you've been doing comedy. So, has it shifted uh, the amount of time that you're in your head or writing on stage, or do you do any writing? There's a bunch of questions in there.
1: Oh, uh, well, uh, yes, no, maybe, yes, and true. Fantastic. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily in that order Um, I am concentrating on stage I I like that um, that feeling of of concentrating you know it's uh, everything you're doing is has timing has words involved has moments it has beats Mm -hmm. and you are also trying to write you know there are times when you think of something better than what you've done for many nights. I've always, I have always have my tape recorder on stage. And, um, you know, so I, I, I love the concentration, the intensity of the concentration on stage. So uh, I, 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 you know, you hear that expression, mailing it in. It's, that's just something I, I could never, I could never do that. You know, it just, it it would not be fun for
0: me at all. You've never done autopilot for a show? No, no. I will try,
1: I will try every second I'm on stage. I will try. Now, it might not work, you Mm -hmm. know, I might be in a corporate show where these people just don't know me, they don't get me, but I won't. You know, like just throw in the towel and go. Heck with it. I'm. I'm just gonna say the lines. I. I will. I will try. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> you know what I mean.
0: But uh, I will try every second. Are there things that you're still discovering as a comic? Are there. Are there new comedic breakthroughs happening? Um, Pratt falls. <laughs> I just started
1: doing pratfalls.
0: But but seriously, are 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 there new? You got to be breaking. I'm trying. Something keeps you motivated to keep doing it with all your heart. I'm doing more. um, I'm doing material now that I
1: think would surprise some people, you know. Uh, Because you don't want. I I don't want to just keep doing the same thing, you know. I I I want to. I like to keep moving, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact. What's weird is I think usually like if somebody feels like they're 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 on to something, like that you know, it's like, wow, you have this little niche or whatever. People go, Oh wow, I'll write more towards that. I as soon as I feel like I'm into onto something, I go away from it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want I don't want to be a one trick pony. Um there have been a couple of times in my career where I feel like I was starting to be defined. And so Maybe career wise, that would have been wise for me to go, well, let me do more of that because now that's something people can hang their hat on. I would immediately go away from that. You know, there was a while when I was doing a lot of feeling stupid fantasies. Uh-huh. So, you know, people would say, oh, he's the guy that always feels like an idiot or whatever. And was like, why well, I don't I? That's part, that's part of what I do, but I don't want that to be the only thing. So instead of writing more of that, I wrote less of that.
0: That's probably why you like golf. I heard you in an interview say that. You like golf because you're not good at it. <laughs> yeah, I like golf because it's, uh,
1: I can spend my whole life trying to get better. You know what I mean? Like if I, you know, shot in the 70s, it would be like, well, I
0: already know how to do that. I don't know how to golf, and I enjoy it a lot. I think you're always chasing a challenge. That's
1: Maybe. But it's weird because it's like, it's like the one thing that I enjoy uh, you know, well, I mean, I enjoy a number of things, but it's like something that I will, you know, s- set aside some weekends to try to do golf. And, uh, you know, I guess people would think, well, he must be decent at it. And it's like, I shoot like 105, mm-hmm. man. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, I, if I shoot in the 90s, I'm happy. If, but If you, you started
0: do, doing well, you probably quit. That would be it. I, I don't know. Do you play golf? Do you Only, I play the driving range and the mini oh. golf, but I've never gotten okay. to the big, the big boys field. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother's very into it and... He's even played in St. Andrews at the the old course in St. Andrews in Scotland. We went to
1: Scotland, my brothers and I and some friends. We went to Scotland this uh, last year to play golf.
0: How'd you like it there?
1: Oh, it was fantastic. The the Scottish accent, I can't, (laughs) I don't know how to do, but we had caddies. Right. And uh, the caddy would, like, say something to me in such a thick accent. It's English. Right. But it's so thick that I don't know what he's saying. And the guy would go, he you know. And I'm trying to hear, and there was one time I'm like, um, aim at, you know, you want me to aim at the flowers? I thought he was telling me to aim at the flowers, which I knew better, but I'm like, you're not, you're not supposed to go over there. And I said, you want me to aim at the flowers? I <laughs> which just... is like off to the right. And the guy just looked, and then, and a and a in an accent that I could understand, he said, "Am it at the Staple,
0: You know, like you stupid American. So he might have just been messing with you too. Could have been. It's funny. I grew up with that. My mom is from Scotland. Oh. And uh, I grew up with it, and I've always been able to understand it. And friends of mine, I've I've been I've done comedy in in Scotland with other Americans, and. They're like I can't understand anything anybody's saying. And I feel like I, I, I find it's like the only language I know besides an English. <laughs> and is, it's English. It's also English. <laughs> I know English and I know English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm fluent in English and heavily accented English. <laughs> right, I'm bilingual. <laughs> That's funny. I was in a in a taxi once with my cousin, and he always loved to. I'm from New York originally he always loved to to brag to everyone in scotland that he had a cousin from new york and it, get, it got to be too much where everywhere we'd go you know this is my cousin he's from new york you know <laughs> i go yeah i'm from new york and everyone would drive me nuts uh, oh my god new york like the city i was like yeah <laughs> oh what's it like well it's a nice big city are there really yellow taxis? Yeah. Why wouldn't there be? That you know the, the questions were terrible. Like that no, that's just a Hollywood portrayal of New York. There really are. There truly are yellow taxis. The buildings are small too. The whole the whole thing. It's all make believe. So we're in a taxi, and he he does it for like the thirtieth time that that weekend. He says the taxi driver, "Hey, mate, this is my cousin. He's from New York," and I I just was I was like. He's having a go with you. I'm not from New York, mate. I'm from Glasgow. So they, I had the the driver going so much. He he, he turned on my cousin. He goes, stop. Just whatever you're doing, stop it. You know why? Why do you keep messing with him? I don't. So then I said I felt bad. I Go, yeah, I am from New York, and the taxi driver. Said, now that's about the most shit New York accent I've ever heard. <laughs> You'll have to train do better than that if you're gonna get one over on me.
1: That's good. That's a good accent. So um.
0: Yeah, I, I'd like to learn golf. I'd like to be able to 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 do it, but uh, there's a lot of things I'd like to do. I don't know where it places. I, w- I want to learn the clarinet. Yeah, uh, I guess there's only two things. let go a clarinet. <laughs> I can think about golf, it. And, and that's it. Okay. No. Now that I now that I look at it, it's much more attainable. That's a. <laughs> that's not even a bucket. That's like a.
1: <laughs> what's. I'm trying to think of something smaller yeah. than a bucket. That's like a little, that's a shot glass <laughs> list. You've got
0: two things. Well, I'm kind of with you. you know? It's much, uh, it's, if you don't shoot too big, you can't fail as much, I right. suppose. So you're living here in Las Vegas, uh-huh. and you're here because your family's here. Yes. But you're from Miami, Florida, correct? That is Correct. So, so why why'd you move to Las Vegas in the first place? It's an interesting place to come live.
1: Well, there were other places in between. I grew up in South Florida, started my comedy down there at a comedy club. Well, actually, let me back up before that. I, I grew up in South Florida, went to college in Ohio. What part of Ohio? Tiffin, T-I-F-F-I-N, Tiffin, Ohio. Okay. While I was in college, that's when I decided I want, wanted to be a comedian. <clears throat> went back down to South Florida. A comedy club opened in Fort Lauderdale, like right around when I decided I wanted to be a comedian. The the timing, I I could not have been luckier in this one quest that I had passion for. Everything kind of worked out perfectly. Because I I literally thought I was going to have to move to either New York City or Los Angeles. Those are the only two places that I knew where comedy clubs were. That's the only place where comedy clubs existed when I decided I wanted to be a comedian. So I go down to uh, South Florida and I see in the Miami Herald the Comic Strip Comedy Club, you know, opening in Fort Lauderdale. Open mic night, Monday night. I'm like, I can get there with a tank of gas. <laughs> you know, I don't have to figure out how to move to that scary city you were talking about with the with the yellow taxis. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I started there and then after... That for a few years, I went out on the road for about three or four years without a home. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I just, I had a mailing address and stuff. And then I moved, moved to New York City and uh, did the New York City thing for about eight years. And then I kind of felt like I did what I could do there. You know, it's like, I, wow, I feel like I've accomplished this, you know, comedy thing here. So then I moved out to Los Angeles and uh, did that for like another eight to
0: 10 years but how old were you when you moved to Los Angeles? 74. Oh. I was 74 years old. <laughs> you look great now. Thank probably.
1: you. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm 57 now. So I've been in Vegas for 13 years. So that's 47, 44. I don't know, mid-30s, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and did the L.A. thing. I didn't enjoy the L.A. thing as much. Why? Well... When I was in New York, I, um, I I enjoyed hanging out in comedy clubs. I enjoyed it, you know. It was like uh, being around other comedians and watching comedy and doing comedy, and and also the the ability to kind of climb the ladder, so to speak. And you know, I went from not being able to get on at all to wow, I, I can go into a comedy club and they they just put me on, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, but then when I moved out to L.A., you know, you, you, you hear this from a lot of people, but there, there's, there's a difference in the comedy community in L.A. as opposed to New York. There's more jealousies, there's more things like that. And I found, <laughs> for me, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it seemed like in New York the, the guy doing the best and the guy doing the worst, it wasn't that big of a disparity. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were going on at two o'clock in the morning at a comedy club, and there was another guy going on earlier, you knew that that guy was headlining at a comedy club's. You know, and he's like, he's yeah. making fourteen hundred dollars a week. You know, that that was. <laughs> you could yeah. see that. You could see. Well, if I keep doing this, I could headline and make. You know, and and headline comedy clubs in la the disparity was so wide there'd be a guy who cannot get on at all standing next to a guy making a million dollars a week (laughs) on a sitcom you know and it was the the it's sort of like the you know what they complain about with the economy you know like the 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 income, the the, the richest yeah. people are making too much money. It's sort of like that way with the comedy world in L.A. It it was just way too much of a a chasm, you know. And so I think with that, there's going to be jealousies. There's going to be people that, man, I wish I had this or I wish I had
0: that. You're, when you're talking about the jealousy, are you talking about other people? Did you find yourself jealous as well? or I had some, you know. I, 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 I'll cop to my share of it, you know. And I, I always tried to guard
1: against it. Um, you know, I I I'm not one of these people that well. Well, why does he have it? You know, I I was happy when anybody made it. It, it was mm-hmm. never that I didn't want somebody else to get plucked, so to speak. And I, I was always happy for anybody that had that happen to them. Yeah. But you can't help but go, how come they're not grabbing me to do sure. one of these shows? You know? Yeah, yeah. So, and um, so I didn't enjoy hanging out in the comedy clubs as much. You know, it was too too clicky.
0: Is that why you don't hang out in the clubs nowadays? I mean, I've never seen I've seen pretty much everybody else hanging out in clubs. I've never seen you hang out. I,
1: I, I like to a little bit more lately just because I'm, I miss, I, I miss, you know, hanging with comedians, you know. So mm-hmm. just like this last week, I was in uh, St. Louis. I did my show and then we went over to Helium Comedy Club mm-hmm. and just hung out. Um, Marlon Wayans was performing and uh, I'd never seen him do stand-up live, you know, so we'd go and watch his show and hang out afterwards, and, you know, I like to do it every now and then. But I didn't like it when, it, when I felt like it was a necessary part of my quest. Mm-hmm. Now I can do it and not feel like I need to do this, you know. So what brought
0: you to Las Vegas? Uh,
1: well, I was married at the time. We, had, uh, we, we were living in L.A. We had one child, did you meet in L.A.? No. We actually met here in Vegas, and, um, but we got married and we lived in L.A.
0: What did your wife do?
1: She or wasn't does working. She do? She's yeah, she's doing the homemaker thing.
0: Did you meet her at a club, at a show?
1: Met her at a show here in Las Vegas. And uh, we got married. We had our son, and um, we were living in a condo in L.A. And I remember my son, he was like three or four, said, Daddy... Watch this. And he put his back against one wall of the condo and ran to the other side of the condo and uh said, Look how fast I am and he got to the other side in about two and a half seconds. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta get this kid a yard. <laughs> you know, so I knew Vegas <clears throat> and then we were gonna have our second child and so when uh, she was pregnant with our second child. That's when we decided we were going to move to Vegas because this is where uh, my ex's family is from her mom and her sister and everybody. So when I did go out on the road, she had a little support group right. to help with the kids and all that. And plus, you could get a house with a yard and feel like you're living more of an American life as opposed to a showbiz life.
0: Yeah, I understand that feeling that wanting to I mean, I'm renting a house in Los Angeles now, mm-hmm. but we still have a roommate you know, somebody well, renting in the house so we can afford to rent the house. Got it, right. But he's so quiet that I never f- know that he's there, which is, you know, <laughs> it, it, it feels like it's our house. But every now and then he, he comes over, he's like, oh, I heard that conversation you guys were having. I was like, that was a private conversation. Uh, so, that's weird. But he is, yeah, he's yeah, he's a nice guy, though. Uh, but yeah, but I heard the conversation, every word of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I have some notes about it.
0: He He comes up to me and goes, so uh, you had a rough childhood, huh? you want to talk you want to talk some more about that but yeah there's definitely after living in apartments for so long in new york and then you want to feel i've come to the conclusion that i think i put a lot of effort into trying to make myself feel like i have a good income rather than working hard to get a good income (laughs) So you I'm, do it all up here. I'm kind of tricking myself y- all the time. You do it in your head. Yeah. You go, wow. <laughs> this beats this beats going out and actually having to make money. Yeah. I just feel like I have money. I'm like, if I had if I had money, what would I do? I'd get a hammock. I'm like, I could get a hammock. <laughs> 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 You're leapfrogging over all all the obstacles. Yeah, and I'm always looking at you know. I think that's how I don't. I'm. I never get jealous. I there was a time in New York when I felt myself starting to get jealous of people, and I was like, I gotta cut this off right away. I don't want to be one of those jealous guys, right? Because right. I, I I saw them, they're all miserable, and I was like, well, you gotta. One thing you know, I I I grew up a religious Jew, and one thing that I I really love from it is um, that there are certain holidays where you have you're commanded to feel a certain way. Like uh, there's days when you, when you, morning days when you have to feel sad. Mm-hmm. And then there are days when you're commanded to feel happy. Really? And, and I used to think like, who are they to command me to feel a certain thing, you know? And, <laughs> but, but then it hit me. I was like, this is the best tool of, of, of all that I learned in Judaism because it you can control how you feel on any given day. Look at that. Once you can master that, so I was like, i got to be able to control if I feel jealous or if I feel upset. So what I do, I think, I I I've, I've, I realized this even this week, I was like, well, I think what I do is when I I have that same thing that you had when you're in L.A. and you're sitting next to the comedian next to you a millionaire right. and you're still struggling, I, I, I think, what practically does he have that I want that I don't have? And I only came up with probably a hammock. And that's... Right. <laughs> <laughs> And he probably hasn't even had the time
1: to go get one. Yeah.
0: And you're gonna go home and lay in yours. Right. We're both getting to do the stand-up show. That's what we both love, because if he if there was anything better than that, he would be doing that because right. he's a millionaire, you know? But this is the best thing there is. So we're both doing the best thing. The only difference is he probably has a hammock. <laughs> well, you're very mentally healthy. This this should be like one of those is this a psych-
1: psychology <laughs> podcast and you tricked me into this? Uh, no, no, but I... <laughs> it's like an intervention in how I can get rid of my jealousies and stuff. No, but that's good. I, um, but but, I, but I, I, I never had a lot of it, but I had a little bit of it. And I, and I could feel just little twinges of it here and there. Where mm-hmm. it, and then I would do my best to, to counter it. You know, you're talking about the... Um, what's one of the
0: holidays that you're supposed to feel bad? Uh, Tisha B'Av, which is the day that the, the temple was destroyed and a lot of bad things historically happened to the Jewish people. What about Yom Kippur? That's a, I think that's a misconception. I think that's a happy day huh. because I, I that's like my favorite Jewish holiday, which people never believe because it's a fast day and I'm a heavy guy. But <laughs> but I, I love it. It's like, a, well, it's a day of atonement. So basically, I always feel like I made it to another day of all forgiveness, you know? <laughs> I would be sad not to get there, but if you're there right, already, right. you're going to get forgiven and it's also like it's kind of cool because you get rid of all the physicality in life and then that's when the one day year I really feel like I tap into to spirituality. Because mm. you're not eating, you're not having sex, you're not where you know, no fancy smells, you know, no fancy shoes and usually like around the middle of the day, uh, you're in temple all day praying. And everybody's praying together, and like you're surrounded by song, and there's kind of like a camaraderie and a brotherhood of everything. And everybody's on, and nobody's like tough or strong or anything, because everybody's fasting, you know. Right. So there's like a vulnerability about everybody around you, and everybody's like, "Hey, how's your fast going? You all right?" And there's just this ver- this great support. And around the middle of the day, I always feel like, "Wow, I'm connecting to, to to something bigger." So that to me is like the 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 real holiday. Everything else is just like you know, it's great. It's, you know, you're eating. Right. You're with community or friends or family, but that's like the one day that really feels religious to me.
1: And then the next day you go, you go back out in the world and you see all your friends with their fancy shoes.
0: (laughs) didn't you learn
1: anything yesterday <laughs> keep your fancy shoes in the closet
0: it is there is something really true to what you're saying because i feel like at the end of it before everybody breaks the fast everybody is like one there's like a brotherhood then everybody eats the muffins and they're like all right i'll see you next year <laughs> Not enough of this <laughs> enough of this
1: equality even steven stuff
0: <laughs> We've all got clean slates dog. now let's yeah. start messing it up again for next year. <laughs> Let's get back to the hierarchy yeah there is some coming down off of it
1: one of the guys that does my tour stuff uh Andy Levitt great guy um on Yom Kippur you know i i'm I don't follow the Jewish faith I just looked in my calendar and said it said yom Kippur on that on that day mm-hmm. and I knew he was Jewish so I sent him an email that said happy Yom Kippur with a bunch of exclamation points. Yeah. Just I just I I d I didn't know what Yom Kippur was and then he wrote back, Well it's a day of atonement, but I
0: appreciate your I thought. think you, I think you were right. Oh, okay. I think it's a, I think it is a happy day it's gotta be the happiest day. All right. It's well. like, you know if if you believe what the holiday is, how could it be anything but a happy day? Basically you're you know, getting out of debt. That's the happiest day you're out of you're out of spiritual debt, you know? Mm. That's, a, that's the happiest day. Wouldn't it be great if there was a
1: financial debt day, you know? That's death. <laughs> death. That's right. That's when everything... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can come so after the doctor comes in and he can honestly say, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Which do you want first. Well, give me the good news. Well, you're going to be out of debt before the sun goes down. (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: (laughs) Uh, Do you like being in Las Vegas? Are you happy that, that things went the way they went and you wound up here? Yeah. Yeah, I like it here. I, I like having uh one foot in show business and one foot out. What's yeah. a, what's the foot out like? What what's a oh, date outside of show business like for you?
1: I, I, I don't do a lot of things, you know. I um you know, I, I, I I'm very I'm an organization kind of nut, you know. I like to keep track of things. I I I work on my act, I like to keep track of my show tapes and um, but it isn't all that, you know. I like to keep a, I guess, sort of like a calendar, a journal, and keep track of what I've done and uh, work on my goals list. And you know, I mean, I don't do it at the expense when I've got the kids. You know, I'm gonna hang with the kids. You know, but uh, when I don't have them, I, I I get joy out of that. It sounds weird, but
0: no, it doesn't. Kind I, of meticulous. George Carlin was the exact same way. Oh, he was he was completely uh, an organization. Interesting. I don't know if the word is nut, you know? I, I, I don't mind. I'll, I'll, I'll take the nut. Uh, people, people throw it <laughs> around a lot. <laughs> you're just crazy because you're all these different things. You're a control freak or you're an organization nut. <laughs> you're right. Freaks and nuts.
1: Um, so I do a lot of that, but it's not the kind of thing I could invite somebody over. Hey, you want to come over and watch me get organized? <laughs> you can just shadow me
0: while I put things in alphabetical <laughs> order. So, so so, you're very organized with with your set as well. Yes. And uh, where does that rank in, in order of importance in your comedy, the organization well, it's, of it's, it? Well,
1: it's just one of the components, you know. I mean, uh, you know, you give this illusion on stage that you're just talking freely, you know what I mean? But, you know, words are very important. Um, and it, it's weird to me because I, I find, I, I guess it's, to me, it's sort of like, uh, maybe it, maybe it is like golf, and that, I don't think you can ever master it, this comedy thing. I don't think you can. I think you can just get better and better and work on things, but it's ever elusive. You know, I, I, I don't think you're gonna get to a point where you go, ah, i per, I know how to do it perfectly. You know, I, I. I don't think I've ever had a set ever in my whole life that I could like go, wow, that set was perfect. You know, I was fortunate enough to do a, a number of lettermans and stuff like that. I don't think, I don't think there's a single one where I would go, wow, I nailed every moment. You know, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have, ah, I flubbed this thing or I, 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 I hit that or I should have dropped this or I should have done that. Um, but all you can do is just do the best you can in every moment and that's what I love about it. I love that it's, it's um, it, the the perf- perfection is unattainable.
0: That's probably what makes you great.
1: You just keep going for it. You know, just keep trying to improve. It's, you know, it's dissatisfaction. Well, yeah, that's very nice. I, I that was a huge compliment, and I let it go. So thank you. You're welcome. Let me back up and.
0: Oh, well, we can reverse back... back to the compliment (laughs) you just
1: said an incredibly nice
0: thing and i'm like yeah i think you're right (laughs) but i i mean it i think that's got to be it that's got to be the difference between you know i once heard jerry seinfeld uh, they did a tribute to rodney dangerfield on comedy central Mm -hmm. and uh i thought he summed up what was great about rodney dangerfield better than anything he said like the audience are are like I don't know if I might be saying it wrong, but the audience are like dogs. And uh, when, when, he, when Rodney comes out, you give them their treats, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I feel like you're a treat guy, you yeah. know. When, you, when, you, when I watch, and I think the reason why so many people love you is because we get a quality product when we watch you. Thank you.
1: You know, it used to be the, uh, <clears throat> the baseball players would decide who the all-stars were going to be. And then they switched it over to the fans. And still very good players are picked by the fans. But I always feel like if you want to know who the best third baseman is, ask third baseman. Mm-hmm. They know. If you want to know who the best catcher is, ask catchers. Um, not that an average Joe Blow out there can't think, wow, so, so-and-so is a good third baseman or a good catcher. But I don't think they're going to have the insight that somebody who does it would have. And so that's why I think, um, you know, for you to say you see quality, that means a lot to me, and I appreciate that. But you do stand up. Somebody outside that circle, an audience member, might laugh and might go, wow, this guy's really funny, but I don't know that they they necessarily see all of the work and effort that goes into it. They just laugh at a final
0: product and enjoy it, and, and that's okay. Right. You know what I mean? Probably they they can't tell... that. They they can sense the quality. I think they probably don't know why this is better than that other thing they saw, but they they're just they probably just say oh, he's just funnier, which is you know mm-hmm. true. You're very funny, but the point of it is is the work, is the meticulousness, is the organization. It's all the the work that that goes into every detail of it. I love I love when you're on stage and you. Hit
1: on a transition that is smoother or something, or you, you take a word out in the middle of a bit and you just have these like little eureka moments on stage going, That's how to do it. That's mm-hmm. how to do it. You know, and it's like, uh, it could be like this thing that you weren't able to fix for like months or a, longer than that sometimes. And you go, Oh man, this falls right into that, you know. Um, but somebody watching, They're not going to realize how important that little segue was to get from this subject to that subject, or, or this word that you dropped, they they wouldn't notice. But you know, now this is leaner and meaner as a result. You know, I hope I'm not talking too sharp. No, I'm thinking it
0: it makes sense. It's like the things that block you from the truth are almost like the biggest gift because once you're able to reveal it, like whatever that thing is, that truth is, that technique is, Mm -hmm. then you feel great. That's what keeps you like, ah, chasing it, you know? Mm -hmm. But -hmm. if you had total mental clarity and you figured out right away, this is exactly how the joke goes. What would be the fun of it? Right. So it's almost like the things that get in your way are your best friends in comedy in, in a strange way. Like I wonder,
1: if you were born with the ability to bowl a 300 game every single time, would there be any joy in that? I, maybe for some, I, I don't think I would enjoy that. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it is really, really hard to, you know, to do this perfectly. And um, you know, if you can get a little closer, feel like ah, I got a little closer. That's the joy is trying to trying to get to that as close as you can to the finish line.
0: That's I think what I was getting at with my earlier question about if there have been any big breakthroughs like. When you get to the point where you've been doing something for 40 years like this, are there things where you still realize, I can't believe for the last 40 years, I never realized I I could do that? Well,
1: lately I've been starting to do, I I think I started to get into this earlier, um, subject matter that is a bit of a departure from stuff that I used to do. Gun control jokes, uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Kim Jong-un, um, political campaigns, negative campaigning. I, I, I'm just trying to hit on things where people might go, huh, these aren't donut-sprinkled jokes, <laughs> you know? Um, I still want to apply a, hopefully a fresh, you know, it, hopefully my perspective on these subjects, but I want to be able to venture. I mean, you look at Richard Pryor and you look at George Carlin and how their careers evolved. You know, George Carlin and Richard Pryor both did much safer stuff when they first started, and then everybody knows that George Carlin went on to become, you know, he's like a social, socially social conscious referee, you know, I mean, like he, uh, he's talking about God and talking about all kinds of very serious subjects, in addition to his silly stuff, you know, he he just added a, another dimension. Richard Pryor did very safe stuff back in the, the early days, and then he started to go on and talk about, you know, much more serious stuff in a very funny way. Not that I don't, I, I don't want to go to that degree with them, but I do want to be able to evolve I want to evolve I I don't I I don't want people to sit in the audience go well we know what this is going to be I I don't want them feeling like that
0: so it seems like the the new material that you're covering now is is the evolution for me it is And, and it's what you
1: have to I don't know you have to talk about things that interest you or else you're gonna your eyes
0: are gonna glaze over and so will your audiences, you know? What was it that was keeping you from talking about these subjects before? It isn't like what I was doing wasn't also
1: valid. I I always wanted to to do, to do what's interesting to me at the time. Like the first CD that I came out with had to do a, a lot of the material had to do about my childhood. Well, I had just come out of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have routines like Feeling Stupid in School and Little League Baseball. That's... I had... I was in my early 20s when I wrote this f- first set of material. And then when I finally had an opportunity to record it, it's like, well, this was my first body of work. And then I have stuff about having young kids and that sort of thing. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm more citizen of the earth oriented. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, uh, wow, I, I see this and I see that and I see the other and I, and I have thoughts about them. I have feelings about things and I, I want to share them. you know. The only thing I try to be careful of is I, I know I've been fortunate enough to, you know, this clean thing, you know, which has always been like kind of a, a hard thing to deal with. Because when people hear that word, to me, they always, have, they always wrap the wrong idea around it. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as I think, as soon, if people didn't know what I did and just heard clean, they're going to wrap a Disney label around it you know, and, and it's like, okay, it's clean, but that's not the point, you know, I, I don't sit down to write clean jokes, it, they just happen to not use words or whatever, you know, but I still like to talk about things that are interesting, or maybe even adult in nature, I don't mean adult, like dirty, but, you know, things that older people are thinking about, and not kids, you know. Um,
0: I've experienced this, I started working clean um, about two years ago, hmm. and I feel like, like I feel the exact same way that you're saying. As soon as people, oh, he's a clean comedian. You almost want to, you almost want to curse right there. You know, just yes. to, just to let him know. You know, what do what do you think this is? It's just I'm just I've just decided not to use those words. That's it. I, it's I, a I, little. It feels a little more challenging, and it's. Uh, it. I got to the point where I I listened to an album I recorded and I was just leaning on him like a crutch, and I was like, let me do away with them. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm I'm a Mickey Mouse show. Right. And it it, it also
1: doesn't mean, for me, possibly for you, that I'm trying to um, suggest that it's any loftier than somebody that might curse every other word. You know? Right. I think Richard Pryor and George Carlin might be neck and neck the two best stand-ups to have ever lived. Both of them work blue. It was truthful and organic. And, and, you know, I, I don't go clean comedy is better than... Than dirty comedy it's just different, it's just different, you know, um, I sometimes use this example, but it sounds like um I don't know self serving but the Beatles were clean the Beatles are all of their music is clean, but how weird would that be if that's all you ever heard about the Beatles? Oh man, you ever hear the Beatles you know how clean they are? <laughs> their music is amazingly clean, so wholesome and it's like what
0: right. <laughs> it's so much
1: more than that, you know what I mean and that's what I you know I don't want to try to equate myself to the Beatles, but it's like it's a body of it's comedy. it's not clean it, okay, it happens to be clean, but enough. Already. clean is
0: a strange word for it too yes it, it,
1: it, it's very limiting and it, and it gives the wrong impression
0: yeah it's it's funny how it's uh, how that's the word for just omitting certain words now you're clean what what makes it clean right? Right, I know it's just different subject matter, possibly, or the same subject matter with different vocabulary. And I feel like I have to be
1: defined because of how other people work. Because most people don't work clean, then why do uh-huh. why do we call everybody else something? <laughs> why do right. you gotta call they're me? They're not clean all dirty, for... right? You know why do you gotta call me the, a clean comedian? And I cannot. I have to. I have to resign myself to the fact I cannot get away from it. I would say more than 50% of the headlines in local newspapers are going to say clean comedian Brian Regan comes to town. You know, I could do an interview. I could do like an interview with the local writer for a half an hour and go this guy didn't ask me one thing about being clean, which is unusual, and then the headline will say good clean fun come to town. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's still in there. They still gotta get it in there.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So maybe it's not such a bad thing anyway, if if you know you're gonna define what you do on stage either way. And who cares what they label you? I mean that's one way to look at it, right? It's frustrating. I'm
1: finding you're much you're much more mentally healthy than I am.
0: In this moment. You have
1: <laughs> you have these religious holidays where you figure everything out and then you carry those through for the rest of your your days. Me, I just suffer with all my insecurities and weird thoughts.
0: Yeah, uh, mine'll come back in like an hour after you leave. I'm <laughs> okay, <off>. good. <laughs> then I want you like when I'm leave to.
1: Just After get, back, said, on the mic and yeah, get back on the mic and yeah, get back on the mic. Go, I, I agree
0: with you. I feel that way too. I do agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I just constantly try and reason myself out of everything that upsets me. <laughs> uh, oh boy, I hate being upset. So I I figured out you know why subject myself to it's it's my own doing. So you... I, I I constantly try to work my way out of the maze of 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 angry feelings or upset feelings or well, frustration.
1: It's, it's funny because you you have a a good way of working it out in your mind to bring yourself to a sense of peace. It I don't know why but it reminds me of like my dad. <laughs> my dad would get a kick out of when somebody says that um they're incredibly lazy. They say I'm incredibly lazy. That's why I, I clean my whole house like at the start of the day, so I won't have to do it late later. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not how my dad would describe <laughs> lazy. <laughs> so like you're saying, you know, like right. you, you have all these feelings, yet you figured out how to not have them. It's just like, try and work
0: my <laughs> way out of each one of them.
1: <laughs> I don't want to be angry, so I just I don't allow myself to be angry. Well, that's pretty damn good.
0: Well, I get angry, and then I, I start looking for the quickest path out of it. I'm I'm sitting here, upset, and uh, I'm in control of it. So why not feel better? Good for you. And also, I think it has to do with being overweight, because uh, my dad is overweight, and he's always had high blood pressure, because he always gets angry. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, maybe i live longer as an overweight. See, that's the lazy thing. Rather than say, let me lose weight, it's the same thing as saying, you know, let me make more money. I just find <laughs> tricky. <laughs> so you figure out a... I'm just like, let me, how do I preserve myself at this way? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't get angry. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, man. You can't argue with that. All right, Brian, you, you want to get into the philosophy? Of course. All Let's right. rock and roll. All right. <laughs> you know it. The, the philosopher that Alex picked out for you is Paul Firebend. Have you heard of him? No. Me neither. (laughs) I have not heard of him. And it's spelled weird. It's F-E-Y-E-R-A-B-E-N-D. But because everybody kept yelling at me for mispronouncing philosophers' names, uh, Alex now phonetically spells them out for me as well. So it's Firebend. What's the the first name? Paul. Paul Firebend. Paul Firebend. Okay. It's kind of a cool name. Firebend. Of course. Uh, And he says what you have in common... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is great because you were just saying how you, every interview, they bring up that you're clean. <laughs> Brian has a history of going against the grain of the comedy world but in an industry that's uh, generally dirty. He works clean. And I think that's also the same thing as golf, you know. It's uh, it's more challenging. And it comes with the challenge of also having the label of being clean. So now you have to fight your way through that. <laughs> um he goes on to say that you dropped out of college and completed it later. You completed it later? I did. Oh, cool. Yes. You know, I was uh, I started really getting serious about doing stand-up comedy when I was in college, and I was ready to drop out. I was going to do it the next day, and then I bought this uh, CD online of Jerry Seinfeld being interviewed by somebody on from Laugh.com, and he said, oh, I was I knew I wanted to be a comedian in college, and I was going to drop out, but then I thought... I didn't want to set a precedent for myself of not completing things in life. Wow. So I finished it, and I felt like that was a direct message to me. I was like, damn it, i got to finish this thing. So I went in the next day to the guidance office, and uh-huh. I said, like, like I was in prison, I'm like, what's the quickest way out of here? <laughs> They're <laughs> like communications. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm changing my major. <laughs> so you, mean, you
1: did complete it. You got your degree.
0: I completed it. I hated every minute of it, mm. and I spent most of the time in the radio station, and, you know, that's what I'm not amounted to more more than you know anything is doing these interviews but well i was in that i was in
1: that major i was in the major that i liked communication theater arts and still didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) still didn't want to finish i shouldn't say i didn't like it i just i I was so passionate about doing stand-up that i i didn't want to wait and uh can i go off on a tangent here Uh, please okay um i um people were telling me to get my degree so i would have something to fall back on you know in case the comedy thing doesn't work out and i just had absolutely zero ability to pursue a dream that i didn't want to happen i didn't want i didn't want to be able to fall i i wanted comedy to work mm-hmm. i didn't want to have this fallback plan so for me to get up and go to classes meant I was working towards something I didn't want to happen. And I just couldn't do it. I just... I couldn't do it. I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want this backup plan. I'm going to go for comedy. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, well, then I can always come back.
0: I always hate that term, like, fall back. Why should I plan to fall back? Yeah, it's a uh, weird... I want, to move. I want to fall forward, if any. Yeah. Yeah, so when did you go back and finish it? Well,
1: I... Uh... I went to my 15-year college reunion, even though I hadn't graduated, and uh, one of the professors there said, why don't you get your degree? You're only 10 credit hours short. <laughs> I was actually 13 credit hours short, but yeah. I didn't tell him that. Right. I went, yeah, I'm 10 credit hours short. I'm like, I just, I just got three free credit hours, <laughs> and uh, he said, you should get your degree, and I said, well, I can't come back to school I'm an adult. I, I can't come back to school for a semester. He goes, "No, you just, you know, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll write papers and stuff like that." So, uh, so that's what I did. I went to, I went there for one day, met with these professors, and they told me what to do and what to read and what to write. Not, not what, not, you know, they, I didn't cheat. Uh-huh. And then I finished the last ten credit hours, and I got my degree. How did it feel? Did it feel good? Or it felt tremendous. It was that sense of closure. And um, I think it felt better than it might have felt if I did it at the time because because now I didn't I didn't need it. I, I, I just felt like a sense of accomplishment. Like I, I didn't then take that degree to Chuckles Comedy Club and go, <laughs> time to bump me up to middle act. <laughs> Look what I got. (laughs) I got myself a sheepskin. It felt good, and I did the
0: walk. You know, I went and uh, did the whole walk and the whole nine yards. It was good. So Alex goes on to say that you released a a special completely live, which was great. Thank you. Um, And uh, something that many people won't do. So he picked a philosopher who talks about thinking outside the box in science, and that is Paul... Firebend. That's why he chose him for you. You're you're an outside-the-box guy. Wow, All right, That's nice. He says, Firebend rejects a rigid scientific method. Telling researchers to follow a strict set of rules hurts their ability to think freely and creatively, thus hindering the whole process. Science should be conducted with reason, but a bit of theatrical anarchism should be added to make sure that the process isn't stifling. He uses the example of the church persecuting Galileo. The church believed that the earth did not move because they followed Aristotle's theory of physics. The theory states that if you drop a stone, it falls directly down, not diagonally, showing that the earth is stationary. Galileo broke these rules and knew that the planets did move, which they shut him up for.
1: Hmm. Well, I'm intrigued with that. And you think about most modern advances in thinking are always counter to what the status quo was at the time and most of the people who are forging ahead with this new way of looking at things whether it's scientifically or religiously or whatever are always shunned they're always shunned and kicked to the curb Um, and so it's hard to to keep pushing something that's new and different because People are going to resist you. Anytime you want to do anything different, um, people are going to line up around the block to tell you why you can't do it and shouldn't
0: do it. And that's also the clean comedy label. It's that, you um, know, it's there's a, re- a lot of truth to that. Yeah,
1: you know, um, yeah, and, you know, and just even getting into comedy, you know, you're going to have people go, "Well, you you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that." People, if you want to do anything different, people are going to tell you why. You can't or shouldn't. And then I, I, I think you have to decide for yourself is it worth taking this on? You know, because people are going to
0: say nay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, people always tell me not to do things, but they're generally right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, then maybe <laughs> I <laughs> always, changed
0: my mind. Then we should listen. If I'm people a... say we shouldn't do
1: stuff, <laughs> then we definitely shouldn't do that because always... they're
0: saying it for a reason. I always went forward in life with that thinking, like I'm going to be the the free thinker. You know, obviously people are saying uh, don't do this, but if you go against the grain and you do that thing, you prove them all wrong. But so far they've they're winning. Like I I did a comedy magazine when I first started doing comedy, Mm -hmm. and uh, and everybody said it's a terrible idea to start a magazine. I'm thinking that's what everyone who doesn't have a magazine would say. Right. Well, it was a terrible idea, (laughs) in many ways. It had many benefits to it, but I think it was a, they were right. Everything they told me why not to was right. Yeah, but, but it's still worth doing it, because
1: it, they might not be right. You don't know until you try it. Right. When, the, when television came out at the World's Fair and I forget where it was, New York City, World's Fair, a writer said, a, a critic said something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing, um, it's an interesting idea, but no American family would ever have time to sit down and watch this thing every day (laughs) you know not realizing no this is going to change the world Mm -hmm. like like people very few people most people look at the world the way it is and if you propose something different or new they're going to look at it in the context of the world the way it is and say doesn't fit it doesn't fit in the way things are okay but it it might fit, and it might change the way things are. Right. You know. So whether it's a new art form or a new way of doing comedy or a or a comedy magazine or or whatever, you don't know until you you go for it. Now right. it might still fail, but that doesn't mean that you know you shouldn't venture into it.
0: That's a good way. See, now you're the one who's thinking clearly, and <laughs> firebends got me all excited. <laughs> So when you're writing material now this new material that you 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 told me about are you are you looking at it at things uh with the intention of, of of seeing them differently or are you just seeing them the way you see them are you are you looking at a subject matter like the like Israel and saying what's the view that nobody's taking or, or uh, yes
1: yeah well I'm trying to show my silly little view of it you know my my Israeli Palestinian joke is um You know, how nothing that they've done to resolve the crisis has worked. You know, I said they've tried violence that hasn't worked. They've tried negotiations that hasn't worked. And then I say, but you know what they haven't tried? A good dad. I say, because a good dad can solve a problem in 30 seconds. So then I just do an act out of a dad going over and basically just you know yelling at his kids and getting it all fixed in about 30 seconds, telling them to kiss and love, kiss, give each other a kiss and a hug, get a good night's sleep, we're going to have a great day tomorrow. So, you know, it's this fantasy philosophy, you know, oversimplistic right. view. But,
0: you know, it's just, I don't know, just a, an unusual way of looking at it, I guess. I like it. Thank you. Paul, his middle name is Carl. Mm-hmm. Paul Carl Firebend. He lived from January 13, 1924, till February 11, 1994. Mm. He was an Austrian-born philosopher of science. And he's best known for his work as a professor of philosophy at the University of California in Berkeley, where he worked for three decades, from 1958 till 1989. At various different points in his life, he lived in England and the United States, New Zealand, Italy, Germany, and finally Switzerland. His major works include Against Method, which was was published in 1975, Science in a Free Society, which was published in 1978, and Farewell to Reason, a collection of papers published in 1987. Firebend became famous for his purportedly anarchistic view of science and his rejection of the existence of universal methodological rules. He is an influential figure in the philosophy of science and also in the sociology of scientific knowledge. So we have uh, a little paragraph. I always ask the um, guest to read the paragraph from the philosopher. And, uh, oh. and then we'll, uh, we can stop as much as you like. And, and if we get what, lost in it. Is this
1: where like I awkwardly whisper,
0: I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> can I leave that in? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> what do we do now? I don't know how to read. <laughs> I'll be happy to try. All right, cool. All right.
0: It 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 is cl- cle it is clear Clear. You're doing good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is clear then that the idea of a fixed method or of a fixed theory or rationality rests on too naive a view of man and his social surroundings. To those who look at the rich material provided by history and who are not intent on impoverishing it in order to please their lower instincts, their craving for intellectual security and in the form of clarity, precision, objectivity, in quotes, truth, in quotes, it will become clear that there is only one principle that can be defended under all circumstances and in all stages of human development. It is the principle, anything goes. Wow. Hmm. Reminds me, I'm working on a, uh, this bit where I put my palm under my arm and I make <laughs> what you would describe as a fart noise. So I see exactly what he means by this. Because people are telling me, don't do it. And I'm like, no, I'm making the fart sound in my act.
0: You're an out-of-the-box guy.
1: I'm, I'm, right, with, I'm right with firebend. All right. Well, I was trying to understand it, and I was trying to hang in there. Um, it seems like the gist of it is... Uh,
0: but don't feel bad if you don't. Nobody gets it. Usually okay, good. We, we go back at it piecemeal.
1: Okay, good. It, I, I, am I incorrect in that the gist is um, let's not stick to the the status quo, and let's go off the tracks a bit in how we approach our philosophies on things?
0: I, that's what I got out of it, but would you mind if we go through it one more time slowly?
1: Sure it is clear then that the idea of a fixed method or of a fixed theory or rationality rests on too naive a view of man and his social surroundings so what is that saying so he's saying that it's clear at least from his perspective that the the plan of attack that had been happening um is too it's too limiting to um Where we should be heading as 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 man and as creators. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's where that's that's where I'm. If I'm wrong, sense to me, you can hit one of those like game show.
0: (laughs) That would be great.
1: (laughs) 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 Wrong philosophy. Get him out of here. here. (laughs) What do we have for him, Johnny? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like what Brian was doing there was a lot more like uh, Aristotle than what we. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I trying to sound totally, yeah. trying
1: to sound like I got my degree because I told you I did. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's what I'm getting out of that. It
0: makes sense to me. I mean, I didn't get anything better than that.
1: Oh, you're not helping me then. You're just gonna you're gonna no, make I, me uh, do the no, whole no, no, thing no, no. I, and I'll... then go. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll piggyback on that. You got me. (laughs) I'm with you. I wish I could have got through school like that. Um, What he said.
0: I I want that. That I got the same answer. I prayed every every show beforehand that I wouldn't get busted on this. (laughs) But it finally happened. Uh, All right. Okay. So, So the next line
1: is to those who look at the rich material provided by history and who are not intent on impoverishing it. In order to please their lower instincts, their craving for intellectual security in the form of clarity, precision, objectivity, truth, it will become clear that there is only one principle that can be t- defended under all circumstances and in all stages of human development. What is
0: this one principle that he's talking about?
1: I, I, I have to be honest. I kind of lost it um, halfway through there. I kind of lost Okay, the is, train of thought. It's easier
0: when you're the listener than when you're the reader, okay. so we'll switch off. Uh, to those who look at the rich material, well, rich material is good material. That's at least comedy term so far, rich material. Yeah. Okay. Provided by history and who are not intent on impoverishing it in order to please their lower instincts. So I'm guessing that means somebody who, who's, who's not like, I'm going to take the history, the lessons of history and oversimplify them maybe because, uh or 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 use them to the lower instincts would be like maybe use them to to my own to 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 answer things the way I want them to be answered i am I'm, I'm with you
1: on that I, I i think impoverishing it is a cool way of saying um just uh not giving it what it deserves, not giving the history what it deserves I because feel like if you're you- pulling my trick on me now right? <laughs> <laughs> If you're just uh, <laughs> reading about history or learning about history, and if you just use what you've read or learned to support what you already believed, then you are not fully taking advantage of the lessons that history is providing. Right. I,
0: I, think, I think we both think that that's what it means. Okay.
1: We could both be way wrong, but right. at least we're, we're going into this together.
0: My feeling is that even if I'm totally wrong with these, I'm getting something out of them. You know, Maybe yeah. it's not what they wanted me to get out of it, but I, I, I walk <laughs> away with something. <laughs> um, they're craving for intellectual security. That's the part of it that I really liked, intellectual security. Um, the, he's talking about the, the people who make the mistake
1: of impoverishing the history. Those he, people are the ones who crave for intellectual security.
0: Well, he's saying those who are not intent on impoverishing it, they're craving for intellectual security in the form of clarity. Um, I think he's saying people who are are dying for clarity, and they're not going to, they don't care about going for the the impoverished version of it. I get you. I think so. So this so. Is, I mean, is where he's saying
1: he's saying a healthier person yeah, is somebody, in search of clarity that. And will therefore avoid the unhealthier way of
0: looking at history. Which I guess would be intellectual insecurity. Like you're insecure intellectually, so Goodness. you're like, uh I'm not gonna I'm gonna go with whatever that fits my fits my agenda that I can get out of that. Right, right. But somebody who's intellectually secure might say, All right, this seems to disprove everything I think, but uh okay, I could go with it. Maybe. You know, uh, free free to go on tangents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This
1: is actually very interesting to me because I have always been much more intrigued with people in this world who have changed their mind than people who have come out of their childhood or started, you know, a lot of people hit on a philosophy either in their teens or early 20s and they just ride that until they die. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I feel those people do not challenge themselves I'm much more intrigued with hearing someone who has changed his or her mind, and I want to know why. Um, I read a book recently about a person who was an atheist who now believes in God, and I wanted to read the book. What, what, What was the tipping point? What changed your mind? Because that, to me, is much more interesting than somebody that is just reading what already supports what they believe right what's the point you're just filling yourself with what's already there i i would rather for myself challenge myself but i would also i enjoy talking with people who are more in a state of wonder like well this is what i believe now but i'm open to hearing what you you or you have to say to maybe take this a, a different direction
0: in my mind right anybody who's set in one opinion i don't trust right away because how how are you so set in that opinion when there's so many great objecting opinions uh, you know there's so many opinions that are, are are so strong and they oppose what your your opinion how could you be so secure in that opinion that that's why you know what kills me is when you watch these uh, political shows
1: obviously they're more and more polarized because that's what gets the ratings and then you've got people that either just you know gravitate to the right or gravitate towards the left and they're just looking to hear what they already believe as reinforcement and even the people on the shows the talking heads when will you ever hear anybody say, wow, you're right about that. I never looked at it that way. And um, I, you, you don't—you never hear that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just wish more people would go, wow, you said something that changed how I think about that. W- what's the point of listening mm-hmm. if you're not ever going to
0: be open to changing, you know? Sorry. I agree, I
1: agree I, I, with you. I'm, I'm worried. You got people out there that oh, this is what we do. My,
0: This is what we do. The whole point is not want to hear my my
1: armpit fart noise that I was <laughs> teasing them about. They're they're waiting. When well, when's he going to do it? This, this when's is he going to
0: stop talking about this? This is what the show is for. The mm. philosophers just to get you going. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> just to get your philosophies on things. This is but but that that's always you know I want to approach every moment in life as a possibility of. Changing, have there been moments in your life where you've completely changed your mind on yes. things? Yes, are do any of them come to mind that you can? Well,
1: the religious thing, you know, the the God or no God, you know, that's um, you know that that's probably one of the most important things that people can wonder about in life. So and uh, you know, and I've 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 vacillated several times in my life, you know, and I have a position now that. Uh, you What's know, the current position? Um, th- there's a there's a a niche within agnosticism, I'm, I'm kind of at the agnostic stage where um, my attitude is I don't know. There could be, there couldn't be. You know, um, I don't know. My, my attitude is I'm not qualified or capable of knowing.
0: There are several niches within agnosticism? There's
1: a niche within that where you can think that I feel that way and also you must feel that way. <laughs> Not, not must feel that way, right. but you also don't know. Mm-hmm. Despite what you believe, my attitude is I don't know. I there there to me there is so much evidence for a god, but there are also some interesting arguments for there not being a god. You know, it could be this big, crazy, um, bizarre, weird accident that we're just all here and we don't know what this is. Um, and I just feel as a human being, even though I've, I've weighed everything, I still am incapable of of making a decision and being 100% sure. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's could be, couldn't be. But I also feel another division within, within agnosticism is I don't think you over there know either. Even though you might be on this side, you might believe there is or you might believe there's not, Mm-hmm. So you're I think an agnostic atheist... who believes everyone's agnostic. No, no, no. Ag- agnosticism, agnosticism, I don't know how to put it. You might, you might think that you know that there's a God, but I believe that you don't know.
0: Right. So you're an agnostic who believes that people who don't think they're agnostic are agnostic. Yes. And, unless
1: agnosticism is the, the belief in your own soul that you know that you don't know. I'm not putting that on others.
0: What were you going to say about atheists when I interrupted you? I I was curious to hear.
1: You have believers, which is the vast majority of the population. I think it's 75% or something like that. You have all different kinds of uh, um, statistics on this. But believers in a greater being or a greater power throughout the world, maybe throughout the world it might even be at a higher percentage. And then you, let's say 75%, just to round it off. And then you have your atheists, and uh that might be fifteen percent, twenty percent? The agnostic population is very small. And but sometimes I feel like atheists who might be sometimes they're very adamant about the fact that there is no God. It's like, well, how are you how are you so sure? You know, uh-huh. I, I I find that can be as that can be an arrogant Way of looking at things. Did you know? You know that there's no God. How do you know that? Um, and then you have the believers who might know. And then I know within the believers' world, you also have people that f- are pretty sure they believe it. You know, and then mm-hmm. you, you get into all these little gray areas within that. It's like, well, what does know mean? Do, do you do you know there's a God, or do you believe there's a God? You know, there's all these different divisions within there, different degrees of belief systems. Um, But I find myself, as I've gotten older, into the agnostic percentage.
0: I think the the thing with the agnostics is there are very few um, events.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm trying to find a partner on (laughs) agnosticmingle.com and I'm not getting a lot of hits.
0: Because everybody's too unsure if everybody's they
1: way up. over here or way over there. It's very, very difficult for me to find.
0: <laughs> but I bet like to... they're they're all very tough to get them to commit to anything too. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if I want to go out with you. It goes on for a very every, long time. on the one hand every, d- <laughs> every decision is endless. <laughs> Thai, Italian. <laughs> I don't know. There's pros and cons to both sides. Let's just eat something, please. <laughs> okay, it's, it's funny. okay. Craving intellectual security in the form of clarity, precision, and then the quotes objectivity or truth, I guess because truth can, you know, who knows what truth really is. But why objectivity would be in quotes, I'm not sure. I guess who knows what's objective? I don't know. It will become clear that there is only one principle that can be defended under all circumstances and in all stages of human development. It is the principle of anything goes. Well, that sounds agnostic. The mm. only thing that, that you can really say and defend is that anything goes, is that you, you could be an atheist, you could be a believer, anything goes. That's the only thing you can really defend. Maybe, maybe that's a way of looking at it. The one thing the one principle that can be defended under all circumstances and in all stages of human development is the principle of anything goes.
1: So he's saying, this philosopher, mm-hmm. Firebend, is saying that in his opinion, the only surefire Bend. defensible, what did I say? He said surefire, and I just threw the words <laughs> <laughs> um The only um, defensible, if that's right, mm-hmm. philosophy is anything goes, as opposed to
0: getting much more uh, rigid with a a way of looking at things. I think that's what he's saying. All right, All right. cool. I feel good about the paragraph now, do you? All right, yeah. All right, we have some quotes. Uh, Will you read us the first quote? Uh, First quote is,
1: I am one... This is from uh, Firebend. I am one kick-ass philosopher, and I always get a lot of hot chicks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's break it down. (laughs)
1: wow you know yeah, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> so he's saying he's good at what he does oh yeah and he's probably rewarded with um, you know that seems a little it's a, it's a form of validation yeah it's a, uh, a form of validation that he gets the opposite sex and enjoying his company that's right. what I'm getting out of that okay here's another quote <laughs> No single theory ever agrees with all the facts in its domain.
0: I think that's kind of what we just were saying. No, there's no one theory that everything lines up with. Even within the spectrum of people who believe in God, there, there's, there's too much variance. Right? right. So different than the hot chick one. <laughs> <laughs> this guy had range Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know and he's not out womanizing he, he actually sits down and thinks of very interesting uh, things um, yes but that seems to ca- it seems to counter when he said one thing you can count on is anything goes this seems to counter that like, how, how so Well, he's saying no single theory ever agrees with all the facts in its domain, meaning if you have a philosophy on life or something like that, there are going to be exceptions to it that don't make sense. Mm -hmm.
0: So it seems like maybe maybe that is anything goes like you can't have you can't be too rigid in your view. Anything has to go.
1: Right. But then if the if anything goes is a theory, then that counters that sentence. Am I making sense?
0: I get where you're... Yeah, I get what you're saying. Maybe if he really wanted to prove his point as a philosopher, he should have an opposing view to his view. Uh-huh. To prove that even he can't have one view.
1: Right. I he, don't know. He was probably trying to, you know, get booked and have like a, a tour where he would like <laughs> say his side and they were like, well, we we needed somebody to oppose it. So he had to make all these awkward <laughs> phone calls. To these shills, going, hey, here's what I need you to do. I know what's going down, and I need you to pretend like you don't know nothing about nothing. So, so I sound like I'm a kick-ass philosopher. So after after the show, I can get all the, chi- all, the all the hot, hot chicks.
0: chicks. <laughs> okay, did did we? Did we uh, we cover that? I, I, as best as we could, I think. Okay. I, All I, right. I didn't have anything else to do. I'm glad
1: this is not... Uh, I'm enjoying this. This is very different from anything I've ever done. Well, good. But I'm, I'm glad it's not a class where there's a professor...
0: Uh, there's no way to fail this. And that,
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, we just do this and I just get up and leave. I'm not going to get a report card in right. two weeks that says D- on it <laughs> right. and go, man... He seemed so welcoming
0: to my thoughts in class. <laughs> I close out it, the podcast. Well, well, everyone, we know Brian failed. <laughs> We've got your results. Oh, no, really? Let's a see how grade? our comedian next week does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brian, usually the, everybody does a lot better than you. you. You had a very poor grade. Next quote, rationalism, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Rationalism is a (laughs) secularized form of the belief in the power of the Word of God.
0: Sometimes you just rambled on me. Lead me on this one. (laughs) Okay. Rationalism. Uh, Being rational. That's what I know about rationalism. Great, Keeping a a rational point of view. Okay. What's the next part?
1: Dot dot dot. no I don't think we need that. <laughs> I mean,
0: he did. He, he a s- took a pause. Yeah, it was important <laughs> to him to get that in there.
1: Uh, is a secularized? I don't know what secularized
0: is. Secularized. I only know about it in terms of religious or secular. I can't think of another. Well, what, what, what I could is, Google what, the word. What you does secular
1: me mean to? in within a religious context?
0: Uh, a sec- like a secular Jew would be a Jew who is not doesn't do any religious things, just identifies. As being Jewish but doesn't uh, necessarily keep the holidays or anything got
1: it so not as conservative as as a as some believers could be within that faith
0: right uh, so somebody who's just happens to be a Jew got it
1: hanging on on the fringes of a belief system and not necessarily they're not in the belief. entrenched
0: yeah but I don't know if that's what secularized means in this got context but well, that's the see. only way I know it
1: rationalism is a secularized form of the belief and the power of the word of God.
0: Okay, now it does make sense. Rational. So, is, you're, so like if you're rational, um, it's almost like uh you're you're trying to rationalize religion rather than the 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 word of God taking it as a as a holy word, you're kind of being secular about it, you're saying this is how I interpret this quote anyway. It's like you know, kind of how atheists are, are. I'm looking at things rationally through science and this and that. I'm not looking at, but he's saying, "Oh, it's still. It's just you're looking at the word of God in a rational way."
1: So, an example would be, if the Bible said that God created everything in seven days, a rat, a a rat, a, a secular, rationalist yeah. would say, "Well, they mean it metaphorically and not literally seven days.
0: They he meant." Right. You know, break things in a grand scheme into bigger sections of time or something. I have no idea if that's what he means, but that's one way that I I would interpret that. I think
1: I'm thinking I just moved up from a a D minus to like a C. Like I think I'm maybe get a C or a C plus. And
0: you just got out of
1: detention. I got out of detention. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more. I might I might pass this class. Okay. Last quote. Um one of those hot chicks I met ended up being a real problem. Um, she would call me all hours of the night, and I'm like, hey, you got to get out of my face.
0: Ouch. Wow. It's a harsh way to, wow. to end things with her.
1: Man, man, right. You know.
0: And he's playing with her heart there. I think so,
1: and I think that's an unfair way. All right, moving on to the next quote. Without a constant misuse of language, there cannot be any discovery, any progress. Without a constant misuse of language, there cannot be any discovery, any progress. Hmm. So just by people communicating back and forth... Uh, you're gonna make your errors along the way, and these errors are the little places where we end up finding more truth.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. And it also this one reminded me immediately I thought of George Carlin about how he would dissect language mm-hmm. and be like this, this is basically he was saying this is a misuse of this word. Right. And that was where he would find truth in comedy. Right, right, right. So he was probably talking about Carlin. <laughs> it's
1: I'm thinking of his airline thing you
0: know yeah. check or you know get on the
1: plane or yeah, you know yeah. check around your seating area you mean check your seat
0: you know <laughs> uh, so it's the misuse of language mm-hmm. that 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 prompted him to find that uh, progress the the in the com- progress and the in the comedy
1: in the comedy, and I, mean. the comedy I, I get it you know um and i'm just trying to think of a an example in philosophy where yeah i don't know how to apply it to real life misuse a word, but maybe that goes back to the rationalization. You know, like, you know, everything was created in seven days. Maybe if you go, well, that's not really accurate. Days, and maybe within when you find a something that isn't perfectly worded, maybe it's within there that you expand. Well, they must mean this instead. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know and that's that's where the really interesting stuff comes I think from in religion mm-hmm. is when they start like you know that's the whole that's the in I only know Judaism, but I know you know that's the whole Talmud that's everybody analyzing the wording and being like, I think it means this and that could be this and that and then you know the very it could be this it could be that it could be this but,
1: but like but within government, a strict constitutionalist looking at the words of the Constitution and some right. people like interpret them very narrowly whereas other people want to Make it more of a breathing document where you can be much more vague with the wording and apply today's problems, et cetera, to the wordings of the people who wrote it, what, 200-something years ago.
0: Well, we're doing it right now with this guy's wording. We don't know what the hell he's talking about, but we're getting stuff out of it. True. I mean, so uh, so maybe, you know, it's miswording. If he would have worded this a little better, I'd, it would be a boring show. And, you know, that's his idea. It makes perfect sense. Move on. Man, oh, man. You're onto something here. <laughs> it's like this those things I was telling you the mental blocks that we're able to uncover, you know, and, and you find a solution in a joke, which is what makes it exciting. It's kind of what we were talking about before, where it's like if you don't have those blocks, then what's the point? You know, the
1: Can I ask you something? Do you since you've been doing this podcast, you've 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 done this with other philosophers and other guests? Right. Have you altered your mindset as a result of these conversations and and as a result of
0: these analyses or whatever plural is for analysis? It's a good question. The answer is no. I'm completely stuck in the way I think. <laughs> <laughs> Are you though no I mean, no, I do I mean it's opened my mind up many times in different ways uh-huh. and yeah that's that's the exciting thing about this podcast. why I don't get bored of doing it is because I'm constantly looking at things differently. Mm. Uh, one one example that comes to mind is I did an episode with a comedian named Melissa Villasenor a few seasons ago on the show, and I was always very depressed about uh, one thing about comedy. For years, I, I just felt like uh, it's, all, it's all very meaningless, especially if I don't make it, you know? If I don't become somebody whose work is continued on uh, What it's all very depressing for all those artists, the many artists that um, that are that even do something big and then they're forgotten one or two generations later because they're not the biggest artist, right? Or um, you know, there must have been a a ton of great painters that were around the time uh, of Van Gogh that you don't ever hear about, and their paintings uh, disappeared in thrift shops or whatever. And and what's the point of their whole career and all the art that they took so seriously and. So that bothered me for a while, and then it hit me that everybody influences. Like, your art still lives on in influence. That was just something that made me see things differently. And and. and this was because of the conversation with the other comedian? Yeah, the the conversation. I don't remember. Uh, Wassily, Can, I forget the name, the full name of the philosopher. Kandinsky, maybe? Okay. Uh, I think it was Wassily Kandinsky. I don't know, but something that they said it led to a tangent or a conversation and it kind of hit me that whatever you do is meaningful as an artist, whether you make it, whether you don't make it, whether you're, you're remembered because you're furthering the art. Mm -hmm. You do something that influences somebody. You Mm -hmm. were influenced by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the art lives, uh, it flows through artist to artist. So you're, you live on through other artists. And that to me was like a, a major breakthrough mentally because I got rid of a lot of negative thinking of, that I'd had for years about it and what's the meaning of it what's the purpose of it like right and uh it's just been a much much more positive view that I've had of what I do and I'd heard Woody Allen talk in an interview about how how meaningless it all was and all the work that he does it doesn't matter anyway and in a hundred years he'll be forgotten too and and that stuff really got me down for a long mm-hmm. time. And, and I realized, of course, that's ridiculous. Because, and that's just his That's his perspective. That doesn't necessarily right. mean it's the perspective. It's the direct right. perspective. It's but it's pers- not lost. Maybe right. his name is lost. Right. And maybe his, his works won't be watched. But so many people, so many artists will have watched that work. And it will have inspired them. And then they'll make work. And then artists will see that work. And they'll make work. And the work continues on. So what do you need to What's a name? It's just an arbitrary assembly of, of letters anyway. It, who cares if your name is remembered? Hmm. What's the... Your legacy is what what matters. It's the, it's the work that you've inspired, that you've changed the art in some way. If it's little, if it's big, it doesn't matter. You contributed to something that's much bigger that goes on and on. So that, to me, was like... When you asked that, that's what hit me. That was like one... But there have been many things, but that's one that really eased a lot of my... Um, and when you Angst. say
1: Woody Allen, you know, has something that you don't necessarily agree with, that you when he said it and you first heard it, you it, thought, well, that's the sense. way it was. Yeah. But you know, there are many examples in history of very, you know, wonderful leaders who have been wrong about things. When Abraham Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address, he writes in there that no one's gonna remember these words. Well, you were wrong, stupid. <laughs> I want to go to the Lincoln Memorial and chisel that on there. Hey! Bonehead! <laughs> um, but, you know, um, and he clearly was a very learned man and a wise man, and, you know, he you can't have everything figured out perfectly. Um, but I, I, I like where you're going with that, you know? It's like, you could be on stage in front of uh, literally two people and make only one of the two laugh. But, You've done something to that mind, that that soul, that psyche that could influence their world, maybe in a small way, but in enough of a way where it it creates a change
0: in the grand scheme of things. Right. The grand scheme of things is the whole thing. Right. So everything is meaningful. And if everything's meaningful, there's a lot less to be depressed about. Whether, Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, there's so much meaning. Hmm. Man, oh, man. Many. Strong. <laughs> That's all. This is strong stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you like the show. I mean, I the, do, very yeah. much. You I, know, I
1: mean, I went into things that I n- have never gone into. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to ask you to take out all the stuff about where, you know, where uh, I say anything of substance. <laughs>
0: Just keep the fart under the arm. Yeah,
1: just, just change it
0: to go, <laughs>
1: what are your beliefs about God? Just... I'll do it like, like that mean? canned radio interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, what do you think of the philosopher? <laughs> Is that all he said? That's all he said. It was entertaining, but he didn't get him to open up at no, all. No, he, he did not want to talk. He did not want to talk. That's the critic writing. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Thank, well, uh, thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, hey, I had a good time. Me too. I had a good time. I, I enjoyed it, and... Um, Maybe it was. uh, I'm not a big podcast listener, so I apologize that I Uh, I didn't have a lot of. I don't. But I think that might be better that, you know, somebody doesn't necessarily know what they're going into.
0: Nobody knows. I spring this on everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you again to Brian Regan. Thank you to you. You. Me? Me? What did I do? You listened to the show is what you did, and we appreciate it to no end. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsor, Stand Up Records, and thank you to those of you out there who donate to the show. It is you who keep the show alive in so many ways because your donations keep me alive, and I still host the show i haven't been replaced yet so please make a donation if you can i, I sure need them you go to moderndayphilosophers.net there's a donate button you say hey you know what hundred thousand dollars over here i'm gonna give this guy a hundred thousand dollars why not i love it i love the show i love what he's doing with the show it's great stuff huh I'll give this kid a hundred thousand dollars why even cap it there two hundred thousand dollars too much That's greedy. You're right. I shouldn't have said 200,000. Make a donation, will you? Leave a nice comment on iTunes. Five stars. Don't cheap out on those stars. They cost you nothing. And it helps the visibility of this show. So if you go to iTunes, click on the show's rating and reviews, or ratings and reviews. Click on the show's ratings and reviews. You'll find a place to leave a nice comment with a five-star rating, and I hope you do that because... It helps. It helps. And if you like the show and you appreciate the show, give back to the show, eh? Share the show. Post the show. Post the show up. Put it on your Twitter feed. Put it on your Facebook feed. Can you put it on your Instagram? I don't think you can put it on your Instagram. That's it. That's the season. We'll have a season wrap up coming soon. And then we'll kick off season seven boy oh boy what a season it's been we started with jackie mason and we rounded off with brian Regan. what a season this has been i love doing this show i really do i really enjoy it thank you guys thank you for for being with me on it thanks for sticking around huh? means the world to me here's uh two more things you can do you can write me And my email to write in is thecomical, T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C-A-L, at yahoo.com. Let me know what you thought of the season. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know what you think of your hometown. Let me know what you think of the weather today. Just let me know. Say hello. It's a lonely world, but it's nice to connect. So say hello anytime you want. I'd love to hear from you. And if you've already said hello, say hello again. Keep it going. And you can also support the show by going to iTunes and buying the first season, which has a lot of fantastic episodes on it that are not available right now on iTunes. Fred Stoller, Jenny Garofalo, Maria Bamford, uh, Yakov Smirnoff, Rick Shapiro—all these and so much more—available only on the iTunes Store. Matt Kirshen, the very first episode, and all that's nine ninety-nine for the first twelve episodes, or you could buy them individually for ninety-nine cents. Go to the iTunes store and get your copy of season one today. I love this today thing. All right, everybody. Have a great week. And thanks again for tuning in to another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Goodbye. Of Modern Day Philosophers. Goodbye now. See you soon.